I'm going to read uh, some verses, and I'm going to read them in the Amplified Bible. So in, Ampl- in, in the Amplified Bible, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, it says this. Therefore, be imitators of God. Copy him and follow his example. As well-beloved children imitate their father and walk in love, esteeming and delighting in one another as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a slain offering and a sacrifice to God for you so that it became a sweet fragrance as is brought out in Ezekiel 20, verse 41. Then we will turn to 1 John 3, verse 16, in the Amplified Bible says this, By this we come to know progressively, to recognize, to perceive, to understand the essential love. That's God's essence. God's essence is love, and that's what makes it essential for us to know, experience, and understand him. This essential love that he laid down his own life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for those who are our brothers in him. But if anyone has this world's goods, these resources for sustaining life, and sees his brother and fellow believer in need, yet closes his heart of compassion against him, how can the love of God live and remain in him. This would be the experience in in the believer. Verse 18, little children, let us not love merely in theory or in speech, but in deed and in truth, in practice and in all sincerity. And then we see in 1 John chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4, and we're going to look at Verse 17, uh, verse 16, and then 17, and so forth. Verse John 4, 16 in the Amplified Bible. And know, and we know, understand, recognize, are conscious of, by observation and by experience. And believe, adhere to, and put faith in, and rely on the love God cherishes for us. God is love, and he who dwells and continues in love, dwells and continues in, in love, and continues in God, and God dwells and continues in him. What an amazing thing. In this, in verse 17, in this union and communion with him, love is brought to completion and attains perfection with us that we may have confidence for the day of judgment with assurance and boldness to face him. Because as he is, so are we in this present world. And why are we to have boldness? As Christ dealt with all judgment for us in our place before God. Yes. Why are we to have boldness then? Because there isn't any more judgment for us. We have boldness. Now. What would inhibit the experience in reality and that boldness of that image that we are 
in the very image and reflection of who Christ is in us. Verse 18 brings it out. There is no fear in love. Dread does not exist. But full-grown, notice that mature, mature thinking, mature understanding, mature experience, full-grown, complete, perfect love turns fear out of doors and expels every trace of terror. For fear brings with it the thought of punishment. Punishment here in the Greek is the Greek word kolasis, K-O-L-A-S-I-S, and it means torture. 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 Fear replaces the calm and rest of a trustful, obedient experience of being loved by God. And fear comes in to torture us, to get us away from it. Fear brings with it the thought of punishment. And he, and so he who was afraid has not reached the full maturity of love, is not yet grown into love's complete perfection. Well, we love him because he first loved us. If anyone say, I love God and hates the test, abominates his brother in Christ, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. That does away with anyone seeing God prior to going to heaven and staying there. (laughs) And this command, charge, order, injunction we have from him. That he who loves God will also love his brother, believer, also. Now, notice this. When we don't experience the reality and truth, trustworthiness of God himself in giving us his son, when we don't trust that and function in a proper image, what do we function under? What is the opposite of truth? It is a lie. We've recently shared, and I'm going to throughout the week, this coming week, about how a believer, because we have the flesh in us that we're not of, now remember this, we have the flesh in us in Romans 8, 9, but we are not of it. That's Romans 8, verse 9. But we can choose to function in it. And what is the difference with the flesh that's in the Christian that they're not of and the unsaved world? Is there a difference? There's no difference. The whole world operates, the whole world system operates outside the love of God through Jesus Christ, the only way to experience it, through the power of the Holy Spirit. They function as atheists. What's an atheist? A liar. (laughs) That's what atheism is based on. And some would think, and some have thought this. I used to think this way about atheism and agnosticism. Let's define the terms. Atheism, A, is alpha negative, first letter in the Greek alphabet. Theist, theist, no God. Agnostic is A, alpha negative, gnosis, not enough knowledge. That's a lie. I don't believe in anyone being agnostic any longer. I believe that those that only, that they have 
the ability, God-given ability, if they've reached the age of accountability, to know the truth. Because even creation in Psalm 19, 1 through 6, teaches it. Teaches the precise order, the signature of God as a creator by the signature of his creation. That's enough evidence. And some would think, based upon Psalm 14, verse 1, and 53 in verse 1, where it says the fool, we're going to get into these things in a beautiful way. Remember, we are not these things. There's no condemnation or or accusation of who we are in Christ, but can we function in them? And when we do, is God condemning or accusing us? No. Who would be doing that? A liar. Now, when we say, who's the first atheist and liar? Who? Well, in Ezekiel 28, verse 15, Satan was was perfect in all his ways. It says, complete in all his ways. Ways of what? Obedience. Submission of his will to his creator until iniquity was found in him. No longer would his will be submitted. Then he became the first atheist. And something that an atheist is a person who doesn't believe in God. Well, if you read Genesis chapter 3 and verses 1 to 6, you will see clearly... That Satan addressed Adam and Eve about God. He just denies him. Do you know what fear is? It's a believer. And any of us can do this. Now listen. No condemnation. No accusation. None. It's not who we are in Christ. I, I wish I could. I think we brought that out here. By the grace of God. And we're all learning it. How beautifully he's made us to be in the son of his love. How incredible. How how beautiful, majestic, and above every single thing. But while we're here on this earth, can we still function under the liar of John 8, verse 44? And when we function under the liar, who's an atheist? And an atheist is not one who doesn't believe God. Because if you study the Hebrew in Psalm 14, 1 through 3, and Psalm 53, 1 through 3, you're going to see very clearly that they do believe in the God out there. But stay out there. I don't want you in my life to be responsible and accountable for you. That's atheism. Never mind this agnostic nonsense. Enough, there's not enough knowledge. Come on, you teach a baby how to be obedient. When does that start? When do you start with the baby? She and his how in Psalm 58 verse 3, they're born with a sin nature that was passed on in Romans 5.12. So in Psalm 58 verse 3, as soon as they're born, they come out of the womb speaking lies. Do they need to have truth? They have a nature that's going to deny the existence of God in a personal experience. Folks, that's fear. If I operate in it, and you operate in it. Now, let's read these verses, and we're going to stop. So, we know that fear is not of God who is love. It's an antithesis to experiencing love. Now, I'm going to read Second Timothy in chapter 1. Second Timothy chapter 1 and verse 1 says, Paul, an apostle, a special messenger. Any more special than you and I? Nope. Of Christ. That's what made him special. Because he was of Christ. His everything was of him. Like we posted, our everything, our all, our everything is our precious Savior. 
Jesus Christ. To him we owe everything. We couldn't pay, but we can simply receive it in obedience. And that obedience is our love returned to him. And then we have a beautiful personal intimate communion and fellowship with him. Paul, an apostle, a special messenger of Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus by the will of God. Whose will? God's will. He had to submit. According to the promise of life, that's God. God promises and in Titus 1, 2 and Hebrews 6, 18 and in Numbers 23, verse 19, cannot lie. Nor can we attribute evil to God in any other sense. And we'll see that coming up soon. And I do believe as God would have it as much as the enemy hates it to have it printed <laughs> in these issues of universalism and annihilationism and all these isms and lies the new next philosophy, the worldly thinking under the atheist of all atheists, and then you fuse it with Christianity. No wonder there's such confusion in First Corinthians 14, 33. Oh, how he hates Christ in us. He wants, to get, he wants us to get to the place where we, as Christians, he can't change our position, but he wants to affect our experience and make more of an issue what we do and what we don't do, rather than the fact that Christ is in us. He hates it. Hates it. To the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. Where is life located? Is there any such thing as life outside of Christ? No. It's a what? A ruined, fallen, depressing, miserable existence. Just like the unsaved. To Timothy, my beloved child. Notice that. Remember now, this is not just Paul writing to Timothy. This is the Holy Spirit using Paul's pen. And he's writing to us this morning. To Timothy, you can put your name there. I can put my name. My beloved child. Grace, favor, and spiritual blessing, mercy, and heart peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. I thank God whom I worship. You know, we can't worship God apart from his love. His love actuates our love. That's what causes obedience. It's even grace that we submit to through humility that causes it. I thank God whom I worship. You can't worship love, God, and fear. You will and I will worship one. One will become my master in Matthew 6 and verse 24. I thank God whom I worship. And when I do, it's a pure conscience. Not a defiled conscience in Titus 1 verse 15. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the unbelieving is not anything pure because it's based upon a defiled conscience experientially. But do we have that in Christ based upon Hebrews 10, 1 and 2? No, we have a cleansed conscience. I thank God whom I worship with a pure conscience in the spirit of my fathers. When without ceasing, I remember you night and day in my prayers. And when as I recall... Your tears, I yearn to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am calling up memories of your sincere and unqualified faith, the leaning of your entire personality on God in, in Christ, in absolute trust and confidence in his power. We don't have any. His wisdom, we don't have any. And his goodness. Do we need those things? We have them in Christ, but never separated from him. A faith that first lived permanently in the heart of your grandfather, your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And now I fully, I am fully persuaded dwells 
has found, like Christ, finding a place in you and your experience through the preaching and teaching of the word. You let it dwell in you richly with all wisdom and knowledge. You let it find a home in you. In Colossians 3, verse 16, and God is making luminous. He's driving out fear and replacing it with love. Jesus He's driving out every single thing. He wants to make room for Jesus. But before you move in, if someone else is living there and they don't belong there, they must get out. They must leave. That is why I would remind you to stir up and rekindle the embers of of, fan the flame of, and keep burning the gracious gift of God, which is Christ himself, the inner fire that is in you by means of the laying on of hands with those of the elders at your ordination. Really, now that's not a very good interpretation here. They were just recognizing what he already was in Christ. They weren't making him to become something. You read Galatians 1, verse 15. You read Galatians, uh, Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5. And you will see and I will see the reality of that. We will also see it in Ephesians 4, 8 and then verse 11. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, fear, of cowardice, of craving and cringing and fawning fear. But separating from that, he has given us a spirit of power. Christ in 1 Corinthians 1 and 24. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom. Knowing how to think with everything we see, never apart from the power and sovereignty of Christ above everything. He's not given us a spirit of fear. But he's given us a spirit of power and of love and of calm and well-balanced mind. Discipline. And the control of that self under Christ. He's not given us that fear. Now, is there such a thing as love? But God loving us in our experience without conviction. No. Is there such a thing as love in terms of relationships with each other apart from forgiveness? No. Never. How long does it take? When we confess our sin, that we're not, and agree with God, cite and name and agree with God about what Christ, who Christ is and what he did about it, that's confession. We're not confessing that we're our sin. Matter of fact, in 1 John 1, 9, we're not praying for forgiveness. We're confessing we already are and, and what was paid for and that we're not. Now, there'll be godly sorrow with that, but it'll never be with regret in 2 Corinthians 7, 10. The fact of the matter is, is this, that the heart, the very mind, the emotions, the will, the self-consciousness and the conscience of each individual, those five parts that make up the soul, with the spirit in control of them, through the power of Christ, the heart of a believer owns Christ as necessary to them. How many did that in salvation? But the heart of the believer owns Christ as necessary to him a long time before Christ is his full object. And long before his full object, if he's not in our growth, what takes the place of love? Fear. Period. Two opposing forces, two opposing functions coming from two separate wills. 
No wonder we need to constantly submit our will. When Christ is your object in mind, you and I are under the control and beautiful concentration of his love that he pours through grace, that he allows those to experience that to those that are humbled by his plan. Now, when our hearts begin to work apart from him, we begin to experience what? Fear. Haste. And we find we have diverged from our center, our object. Now we become our own object. This can be painful and condemning. And we can't be thankful that our only resource is his throne of grace that we can run to whenever we need to in Hebrews 4, 14, 15, and 16 especially. When the Lord is the resource and refuge, a refuge, boy, do we have it, especially during these times, but at all times throughout human history, he's only he's our only refuge. When the Lord is the resource and refuge of our hearts, difficulties and trials will not overwhelm or discourage you. Instead, they will make you and I more assured of his aid, his relief, his help. And his support. And that's why we need loving discipline. Because loving discipline is to make us partakers of his holiness. And to make us partakers of the treasure of his son. That's in each one of us in Second Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7. He is in us as his vessels. Because if we don't rely on the treasure that's in us. We rely on the vessel apart from the treasure. That's where fear comes in. There's where now we think we're under the control of ourselves and we have to do something. We're going to have to do something. And the only something we can do apart from him and his love is to function in one of those lust patterns. Now, our vessels are fragile clay jars that have stored up in them the excelling treasure of his son. The excelling treasure of his son. We are to identify our oh listen to me this morning and as I'm listening with God to God with you. Our only identity, we are only to identify ourselves, listen to me, not with a place. That is not our identity. Not a place. Not a person. Our only means Our only way of identifying ourselves is Christ. I cannot find who I truly am in myself outside of who he is in me. This is the book of Ephesians, the epistle. Read those first three chapters. See how they function in the fourth chapter in the local assembly. Then how they enter into now a proper family relationship in the fifth chapter. And by the time you get to the children in six, one through three, you and you go right into now you realize you are in a conflict. A spiritual one that every one of us, unsaved and saved, were born into. We were all born into it with an unsaved nature in Psalm 51. And verse 4 and 5, verse 5, especially based upon what we said in Psalm 58 and verse 3, the scriptures. And when I say I, it's the scriptures that speak to all of us. That is not our identity. Our failure is not our identity. 
good day, good emotions and bad emotions are not our identity. Our identity in, is in Christ, unchangeable. He's always loving. He's always, he's always there to completely and fully trust in him. Now, this brings us to this here. If when I obey the word of knowledge, that means the preaching and teaching as it's declared, when I obey the word of knowledge, then and only then does God perform what only he can perform based upon what he's already finished about me in the completion of his love for me. That becomes my true real experience based upon the fact that I am positioned in Jesus Christ. And now when I have a true experience, I function in my proper place. My proper place is not an area. It is not a person. It is not in material things. Because when those things replace the true experience of Christ being my all, those are the things the enemy will use to cause fear. Just remember what he said to Job, Job 1, 20 and 21. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But one thing he never takes away is who he's given us in his son and who we are in him. We may lose everything. We may, but you can't lose him. You cannot lose him. To do so, he'd have to lose himself. And that is an absolute impossibility. And so when I have a true experience based upon a true image, based upon being in a true place, I have true rest and I have true peace. God only leads me by peace because that's what his love has accomplished in Ephesians 2 and verse 14. Then I function in a proper relationship. And now he becomes my continual expectancy in Psalm 62 and verse 5. My soul waits you upon the Lord, for from him comes my expectation. And that expectation, experientially, in the growth of Second Peter 3 and verse 18, growing in grace and knowledge, is to, to function in new, beautiful truths about the increase of who Christ is in me and who I am in him in John 3.30. And that takes a decrease to experience that incredible increase. So we begin to abide in him. We begin to abide in him, abide in him. And, and putting him on in truth, experiential truth, putting on our position in our experience in Ephesians, the sixth chapter, having done all in 6, 11 and 13 of Ephesians six means having overcome all. Have we over, already overcome everything in him in Romans eight and verse 37? Yes. Then we stand when we overcome based upon positional truth, and when we experience that reality of a proper place, then we stand in Romans 5, 1 and 2. We stand. We stand steadfast. Steadfast. And no longer do we function in defiled conscience. No longer do we defile in an unclean, defiled, polluted conscience. No. We don't do that anymore. It's the opposite. It's the very opposite. Tame, T-A-M-E, defiled, is the very opposite of taher. Taher is T-A-H-E-R, means pure. Remember, all through the scriptures, we're never called children of love. God is love. 
We are called children of light. Light came out. Christ came out. Put in the word, put on this humanity in John 1 and verse 14. And in him, having received him, his love, we function in the purity of the light of who he is. We see that in Ephesians 5 verse 8. We see it again in 1 Thessalonians 5 verses 5. We're no longer children of the night and of the darkness without hope. Fear, 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 constant fear, fear. No, not at all. No, we've been purified. Our minds have been cleansed from the lies of fear because we're in Christ and we're pure. Remember what light is. Light is an element that refuses to be mixed with anything else. It's just does. That's light. It's very, very pure. It's very, very beautiful. Actinic, luminiferous, and calorific. All revealing the Trinity in the most beautiful way. That one ray of light that comes through the window has three properties. We have that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working for us constantly. Working in us what's already been finished about us. To move out fear in our experience and to move in. Being loved and trusting him no matter what to trust him. And in that trust, we have fellowship. We have a share, kinonia. We become a partner. We begin to participate in the reality of who Christ is in us individually and who he is in us. And then we have and we have fellowship. Please remember what fellowship is this morning. It's when Christians come together and they share Christ. They don't mix a single thing with it. There's not another thing that needs to be mixed with it. It's just Christ himself. Pure and perfect fellowship. We begin to be a participant. We share in. We share in. And as we share in what's been imputed to us in our position, when I am humbled and receive grace, it becomes imparted to me. Then I have fellowship. It's understanding these two beautiful terms that are brought out so beautifully in the scriptures of imputation and impartation. Always, 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 when we function outside of his presence, when we do, lust patterns begin to take effect in us. All kinds of lust patterns. Lust. What is lust? Of course, we know it's insatiable. It's never satisfied, ever. Because even the material things that they have, they're going to last forever? Read Matthew six nineteen. Store up your treasures where neither moth nor rust corrupts. It's not your material things. It's not your place. That isn't your place. It's not mine. Christ is our place. Christ is our place. And by the way, we're passing through here. <laughs> we're on our way to heaven, thank God. And the sooner it seems the rapture or we go to him, the better. And it just seems that way. Well, so what is lust then? Lust is the interruption of the flow of the love of God. That's what it is. Because we were designed by God to be in a love relationship, a relationship of love. Everything about our relationship is constituted in God through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we need to cling to him here. We cling to him. We have to, this clinging of heart to Jesus is the position 
where the communications of true experiential knowledge are received. That's why, that's why the picture there, John, he leaned into, not just on, he was leaning into the very bosom of God, the place of the most intimate fellowship and exchange of a love life that nothing could disturb or distract. In terms of humanity, Christ had to come out and put on humanity so that you and I could experience it in this wonderful measure. Of course, we'll never experience it like in John 1 verse 1, in the beginning, in eternity. The Son is dwelling in the bosom of the Father. (laughs) That's love. But he had to come out as light. That's why he's the light of the world in John 8, 12, to bring us back into this love relationship. And what a beautiful picture. We're going to wrap this up this morning, but listen. If our souls, if our self-conscious capacity is needy, and only through grace do we desire to understand God, do we desire it? You know, even proper desire is something that God has to humble in us to make it to give us proper desire. His desire in Psalm 37, verse 4. When I delight myself in the Lord, he gives me his desire that he designed for my heart. And then with that desire and that love, I roll all my care, all everything on him in Psalm 37 and verse 5. That's what I do. And that's our privilege of what we do. And where God has called us to. And we begin to do that. And there's always then, in this way, God always makes a sure way for us in everything. Everything. And that sure way is Jesus Christ himself in John 14 in verse 6. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father. But by and through me, 14.6, because the way of man is not in himself in Proverbs 20.24. It's not in man to find his own, to direct his own steps. That's why the candle of the Lord and the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord in Proverbs 20.27. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, lightening up all the inward parts. And the way of man is not in himself. In Jeremiah 10 and verse 23, it is not in man to direct his own steps. But only God, through his love, directs us. And when it's his love, it's always by way of peace. Never by way of fear. Ever. Never. Not anything. We can have fear in the midst of the storm. Hopefully it's taken an unbelievably hard right out to sea. Well, we're going to close, but we need to wait. God waited patiently, and we need to be patient with each other. To be taught and led. And God had to be patient while he would teach and lead his children. Is there room for growth? Yes. No doubt about that. There's no doubt at all for room for growth. But folks, there's just as much ample room for unbelief too. To act like an atheist. To say no God. No. Based upon sight. We walk by faith. 
absolute dependence on God and in his love. Listen, not by sight in 2 Corinthians 5, 7. It's not by what we see, because what by what we see sooner or later, when it dictates to us, will cause fear, because nothing about us in time other than Christ lasts <laughs> forever, forever and ever, ever and ever and ever. There's plenty of room for growth, but plenty of room for unbelief. And the evil heart that's still in the flesh, but not that not that we're of, could readily find and does difficulties to stumble over. Not impossibilities. They just become difficult. Things become difficult to us by sight. Why? Because fear's directing us. Fear, 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 fear. Constant fear. Fear. Remember they were in the boat with Jesus? They're in the midst of the storm. In the midst of the storm, they woke him out of his peaceful sleep because he was sleeping in the midst of the storm. Do you know where he's doing? He's resting in us in the midst of the storm. There's fear, constant fear, fear on every side. Fear, fear, they say. Jeremiah, the 20th chapter, 9, 10, fear on every side. <laughs> fear, fear. Based upon others, people's fears and their struggles. Jeremiah, I want you to use those to cause you to say, I am done. Yeah. But his word is as a fire in his bones. He was weary with forbade. He could no longer stay there. There's no place to rest in fears. There's no place for us to rest in fearing for others, our own fears, or making their fears ours. Why not just trust God and experience his love? And have the freedom and realization of a calm and a perfect peace. Well, plenty of things to stumble over. Not because they're impossible, but because they become difficult to sight. But faith always finds out the way. Pendence. Always finds out the way to understand God. Not that some things aren't hard. There's many reasons the enemy will give us to make them hard. Some things are hard, aren't they? We're not saying they're not hard. Nowhere in the scriptures, they're not hard. Yet faith pursues its narrow path through obstacles and dangers. Because it trusts God by faith, not in what it sees. Not settling down here and bringing Christ down here with us. No, we're headed to a heavenly home. To be with Christ. To be with him. And what happens? To be ignorant is one thing. Now that's room for growth. That's right. To be ignorant is one thing. But to have truth and still become unlearned and unstable is quite another thing. That's what happens we see in Second Timothy chapter 4 and verses 1 through 4. I love what someone said. They said that. They, others, others that have wisdom other than the wisdom that Christ is, read the 8th chapter of Proverbs. In 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 24. They might be as wise as Plato and prudent as Aristotle, but not learned in God's will and the knowledge of God's own mind. This is the learning that we should value above everything. Above every single Thing. Everything. 
Listen, God has not given to you and I the spirit of fear. Not for any time or any place. He could tell me what any time or any place has he in his eternal mind not dealt with every single thing in the perfection of his plan based upon himself and his thoughts. Can they fail? No wonder it says in 1 Corinthians 13, 8, based upon Jeremiah 29, verse 11. I know the thoughts that I think towards you are the thoughts of peace and not evil. So that you can experience my expected settled plans for you personally. That's why love in 1 Corinthians 13, 8 never fails. And the picture is like a flower. Sooner or later, these beautiful flowers, as beautiful as they are, they will begin to fade and fall off. His love never does. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variableness, neither shadow of turning. In James 1, in verse 17, they might. We should value that more than anything. God has not given us the spirit of fear. In place of it, power. Christ. Love. In a very well-disciplined mind, knowing how to think experientially as we're passing through in first peter 2 11 we're strangers and pilgrims on this earth we're passing through our place is not here our place is not material things our place is not our job and we are not to identify ourselves with them or other people christ is my identification and in that we have true fellowship and in that there's no fear nothing but love so we're to build ourselves up individually if we have the word and come and hear it talk as much as we can as much as we can and God knows build yourselves up on your most holy faith it's very personal build yourselves up on your most most holy faith and when you do you keep yourselves in the love of God and you will experience peace in Philippians 4 7 that acts as a garrison and a guard around you keeps you in him in the eye of the hurricane where it's all peaceful and keeps out all that other debris that's flying around and seeks to enter in and disturb that peace. Did you know that God's love, the love that his, that the father and son have always had, even through its eternal love, so nothing in time could disturb it, by the way. And nothing disturbed their relationship in John 1, 1 and 2. It was a love that nothing could disturb or distract. Things can hear. They can. They may be difficult in heart, but they're not impossible. They're part of that humility of teaching us. And yeah, they just are. Because he's our all. That's what he's teaching us. He's our all. He doesn't fail in Joshua 1.5. I will never fail you, nor forsake you. Triple salutation. In Hebrews 13, verse 5, I will never, no, never, no, in any way ever leave you nor forsake you. We are not part of the lying world system under the atheistic liar who, who not says that he doesn't believe in God, just says you can't trust him. Because in James 2.19, even the demons look at believe and they shudder with fear. Demons shudder with fear but still operate in the insanity that they're going to have their own way 
Oh, God, help us. And he does through humility and through his word. So, Father, thank you for the preciousness of who you've made us to be in Christ. And thank you, Father, as we continue this, that understanding of the thoughts of God will make us humble. And it is a lowly position to know that we have nothing but what is in God, the God of Christ himself. And that effect spiritually will be to turn our hearts, our mind, our emotions, our will, our self-consciousness and our conscience toward him who is our portion. And this will draw us as his church away from all that is of the world, that atheistic lie that denies God, because God is about soon to take his church up. Oh, he's taken so many of our loved ones now. But soon he'll call up his church out of this world. And this will force her to find her resources of joy and strength only in him. Because there is a character of power attached to this beautiful experiential knowledge. It is the power of the resurrection which places us in the same position as Christ is in heaven right now in First John 4 and verse 17. And that reality drives fear out. And 418, thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. And hopefully...